0: It's good to be with you all. Um, I look forward to this time. I know that you have been praying for me, and I really appreciate that. And I have uh, experienced the Lord's help in this. I will tell you that um, I, f- I felt a kinship with a couple of my brothers as I talk about, just for me, what is such a uh, chaotic and somewhat excruciating task of preparing um, to teach and preach the word. Um, and uh, but it was encouraging to me to hear uh, a couple of my brothers say that uh, they feel the same thing. In fact, um, Kyle was even telling me, I don't know if I can share this with the whole group, but that Scott shared with him that uh, there has been an occasion where he just felt uh, so much wrestling from the evil one that he wanted to call in sick and just uh, go away uh, at a conference. And so that, that I don't know why that encourages me, um, because... Uh, uh, and I will say, um, just going through the preparation of struggle and the, pre- and the revision that takes place and the final hours of finishing, um, it's very unsettling. Um, and the devil or my flesh will often repeat over and over again. You don't have anything to say to these people. Um, tear that thing up. Try to find one out of the file that you've done before. Start over. It's rubbish. Um and uh, again, I appreciate. If, if nothing else, um, I hope that hearing from some of uh, the lesser lay preachers in—and I don't say that about any of them, just myself. Okay, I don't want to throw yeah. anybody else in there. Um, that you would appreciate uh, our elders and the work that they do, um, because it is no small labor. In fact, the Scripture says that uh, those who preach and teach the word are worthy of double honor. Um, and uh, I understand it as I... Once a year or so, go through something like this, um, but I am. Um, so I would say, pray. By the way, pray for your pastors. Appreciate your pastors. It is uh, a great work they do. Um, I think one of the best little pieces of advice uh, that uh, Aaron gave me was just try to go up there and have fun. Which is like I feel like that we. That's what we would tell the kids in like youth soccer or something like. Just get out there and have fun. <laughs> Uh, but honestly, it helped me a little bit. I was just like, and I will tell you, Scott, it's funny that you mentioned sort of the flashback with power in the blood. And maybe some of you um, attended a church like I did growing up. In fact, um, it, it really gave me a flashback to my dad who is with the Lord and uh, in the church triumphant. But, uh, we used to sing eight powers, I think. Did y'all ever do that? There was pop, 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 wonder working power in the blood. And it was, I almost wanted to interrupt Luke, and I didn't have that kind of bonus, like, let's do that. But, uh, uh, it was, a, it was a great throwback, and it was a warm memory. Um, today I am eager to share with you, honestly, um, by truth, the scriptures, but also by testimony. Um, how God has been so faithful to me. Um, I just got a little choked up looking at my wife because she gets choked up looking at me. So, I'm, um, But how God has helped me through um, marriage and through work um, and through the ministry of the Word and the church. He's done all of, most of, 90% of His sanctifying work is done through those arenas for me. Um, And uh, I'm sure many of you could testify to the same thing. Um, I have experienced, and I will say say with marriage and work in particular, um, failures and successes. Um, And I have come to appreciate so much God's wise design and his good gifts of giving work and marriage uh, to his people, to his creatures. And by the way, gifts does not go far enough. Hopefully I'll circle back on that in a minute. Um, but he has used those things to humble me, to sanctify me, um, and to wake me up, sometimes out of great dullness. And so my desire is not just to share those truths with you, but also testimony of how God has encouraged me and helped me in the good fight against my sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, I will say in the past, and maybe this encourages some of you, I think it probably does, um, that I have, um, I've been married 33 years. I think I might have said this last year. Um, but I wouldn't say happily married 33 years. And that's not an insult to my wife. It's just reality um, that there's a lot of uh, struggle in marriage when you after you get through the first love and the romance and you realize that two sinners are bound in holy matrimony and there is conflict and there is struggle. And if you uh, in marriage today are experiencing that conflict and that struggle and that discouragement... Um, Know that the Lord can deliver you from that. He can help you. Um, He can transform you. He can make, for me, the gospel has um, come to life over and over again as I've had to face my sins as a husband and face my sins as an employee and almost experience all over again the joy of my salvation uh, as I've repented before the Lord about uh, um, my own indifference to my wife, my selfishness. My becoming annoyed by her um, and focusing on her flaws. I'm so um, disgusted as I think back um, in years of marriage how I was so focused on her flaws. Uh, And I've gone through work and long seasons of work being discontent and having contempt for various bosses along the way. Well, today, by God's grace, I've realized that my wife, um, all those years, and I'm not trying to um, canonize her in some way, but as I focused on her flaws, um, I would point out splinters in her eye. If you're in Jason's class, you'll appreciate this. We're right there. Um, and every now and then, the funny thing is, she would actually work on removing the splinter um, from her eye. Um, and oftentimes there was no splinter. Um, in fact, I think I would see a splinter um, in my peripheral vision as my eye would look askance over the giant beam or log that was in my own eye. There's a splinter. Oh, it's actually on that giant beam that's in my own eye. Um, but uh, I, I'm married to a gracious wife. And so the other thing I, I thought about, and I know there's a lot of introductory remarks, but as, as I thought about, um, who am I speaking to today, today? to today? Who do I have in mind as I speak? And I think that's a good thing to do. And so I would say to you young couples that are early in marriage. um, I hope you will be encouraged by these things and not make the same mistakes and that you will do better sooner um, by God's grace. Young people desiring marriage, pondering marriage, or a wife or a husband um, who may be very discouraged in your marriage. Um, Maybe a man frustrated at work, fighting his dread on Sunday night. You ever get the Sunday night blues? Thinking about Monday, um, or being at the dinner table and casting a cloud of silence and tension over the family because of the struggle at work or conflicts with personalities at work. So I wish to exhort you, um, not as a preacher necessarily, um, but as a brother. And so from um, First Timothy, I wish to encourage you, um, younger men as a brother, and older men as a father. And you older women as mothers, and you older, and you younger women as sisters. Uh, so picture that we, perhaps, after church, are having a conversation, and the conversation, um, gets, um, more real, and we talk about struggles in life and in marriage, and how, um, me, one brother, sharing with you a sister, or a brother, or a father, uh, how God has encouraged me and helped me in these things. But i got a big setup, a lot of setup here. Um, And we've been talking a lot this week already about authority. It seems like authority is a a big theme as as we get to family dynamics. And I'm sure you know, especially if you're in the corporate workplace, that people are obsessed with power. And power dynamics seem to um, rule the day. It's such a big thing. Um, But I want to say to you that and I know you know this, and I think we've been through this, uh, but God built authority and roles and headship and submission into His creation before the fall. I think Warren even said that the other day. It's in Genesis 1. It's in Genesis 2. You have sort of a general creation account um, where uh, God created man, male, and female in the image of God created He, them, um, and he gave them a work to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, and have dominion over it. Um, and then in Genesis 2, we, we realize that the woman was taken out of the man's side, and she was made a helper for him that was suitable for him, and that fit him like a glove. Um, and he expressed, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, this is woman she has taken out of man. Praise the Lord for this wonderful gift that you have given me. Um, that's all pre-fall. Um, there is headship and submission. There is leadership um, in before the fall. Um, God even decreed, if you think about it, motherhood and parenthood. We might think of that sometimes as such a burden or perhaps part of the curse on us. But he told man and woman to multiply and have dominion over the earth before um, our ancient foe ever deceived the man and the woman. Um, and so that's before the fall. Parenthood, motherhood, fatherhood. Um, What was God doing as he put man and woman in the garden? I'll quote uh, Dr. Richard Pratt, who speaks much about this. He says, in the opening chapters of Genesis, God planted a sacred garden with the goal, this kingdom would fill the whole earth with obedient servants one day. Um, I might expound on that, and I've heard him preach a number of times about these kinds of things and say that, God put man in a sacred garden and gave him the task of turning the whole world into a garden and that was his work and his work would be done and accomplished through marriage and children and really fill the whole earth with the glory of the Lord. That's, that's, that's what God intended and set up um, in the garden. Um, but there's a fall. And big interruption. Um, that snake, uh, the father of lies, the devil, said, um, well, God, uh, God, let me say this. God gave them one rule. He said, don't eat from the tree. So one tree. All the rest of them you may freely eat. And by the way, I would, I would assume the rest of these trees were good for food and pleasant to the eyes. But the devil made Eve think that this one was the most desirable, and this one is the most satisfying, and this is the one that you must have. So, um, and why did God put that tree in the garden? In my mind, and this is, I hope, uh, sanctified speculation, it's the one symbol that I am God and you are not. Um, You do not have the right to everything. I am the Creator, you are the creature. Well, as you know, that serpent, our ancient foe, the father of lies, Said, "Of course, you can eat of this tree. Uh, you will know things that he's trying to keep from you. Um, you can be, you will be as gods. So you don't have to have him for a god. You can be your own god. You can be gods um, instead of him being your god. You will not surely die." The most tragic words I've heard preachers say um, in all of humanity is, "And he ate. And he ate. Adam." ate of the tree, his wife uh, gave it to him who was there with her, and he ate, and Romans tells us that all of mankind was plunged into sin and fall. Um, the ground was cursed, um, work became filled with frustration and futility, so Adam was supposed to work and keep the garden and spread the garden but it was all he could do because the ground that he was that he came from after he was expelled from the garden, the ground that he came from would not yield easily fruit or food, and so um, it was almost. I don't know if you experience this at work sometimes, folks. But just the idea that I'm barely keeping up, I'm barely getting these things done, um, and that sort of became the nature of work. Work itself is not a curse, but work is cursed. Um, the woman would want to control man. So relationships were cursed. There's relational futility that came about as a result of eating the fruit. The woman would want to control the man. The man would want to dominate the woman. One brother would eventually kill another brother out of envy and jealousy. Um, These are the things that came about from the fall, this fatal blow. But... As you know, and and we soon get into Genesis 6 pre-flood, another tragic verse, that basically man, the wickedness of man was great. Every intention of the thoughts um, and intention of his heart was only evil continually. So instead of filling the earth with the glory of the Lord, man filled the earth with curse, degradation, evil... But there was hidden in the kernel, as God pronounced these curses on the man and on the woman, uh, as you know, in Genesis 3.15, there's a pronouncement uh, on that curse, that this enemy of our souls, this father of lies, the snake, the serpent, would one day be finally crushed with a fatal blow by the woman's offspring. Um, I'm sure most of you know that kind of stuff. But I think it's very interesting that not long after that, when Eve has her first child, she says, Behold, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Some say even that you could say a man the Lord. Beginning then, and Jason can check us up on that, but every Jewish woman had a hope and an eagerness and a desire that they would bring forth the Messiah, the snake crusher, the one that would put an end to the curse once and for all. And Eve even thought those things. And as you read, by the way, just to kind of simplify your Bible for you kids, this might help you as you um, sometimes open up a random chapter here and there and read with your family, um, that it's a story of potential would-be hopeful messiahs in the form of prophets and priests and kings rising up that may be that one great messiah. Um, I'm sure that uh, when Moses came, People are like, all right, this is him. Nope. Um, Maybe uh, David, clearly David. Nope. But David's son? Yes, but not that one, not Solomon. Another one of David's son. And finally, we get to the place um, where Jesus, a whole different kind of Messiah, enters the scene. Not one that anybody really had envisioned or expected, We sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus at Christmas time. But this was an expected yet very unexpected Messiah. He did not operate in the same way that any other Messiah or Redeemer did. did. Um, But He would come and He would be, as you know, our kinsman, Redeemer. He would save His people from their sins, from the guilt of sin, the power of sin, the practice of sinning, and even one day the presence of sin. All these things come about, and now we're back to that mandate, that creation of mandate, to God's family to fill the earth with the glory of the Lord. In fact, Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and in Acts 1. Uh, he would commission them, He would commission us, to fill and multiply the earth with disciples, to one day fill the whole earth with His glory. Who would do this? The church. Christian wives? Christian wives? Mothers, fathers, children, employers, employees. Through his church, people were being sanctified, but they have remaining sin. Like mine with my wife. Mine as a father. um, That would put impediments uh, in the work of the Lord and the work of the Great Commission. Um, Selfishness and being aloof and frustrating Um, complaining about my boss complaining about the president complaining about the mayor um, these kinds of things Um, and I will tell you as somewhat of an aside there's nothing compelling to the world if we model the same kind of complaining and power dynamics that the world does Um, there's something much more intriguing with a gentle and lowly savior who would make gentle and lowly saints and Last night, and by the way, just to speak to the struggle of preparing a lesson, I don't know if John Blunt's out there, but he's like, "What are you going to talk on?" And I just kind of rambled through this some of this stuff, um, and he said, "Well, what you know?" And I could tell he's trying to help me. He said, "Well, what's the title?" I said, "I don't know, John. I you know, I, I, I this you know, faithfulness at work and home, you know," and um, so I got up early this morning and he came up with a title. And so I'll tell you where we're going, um, and that really is. Um, the serving Savior, the servant Savior. You can use either one of those words. Um, that is the idea, that we have a, a unusual Savior. Um, some of you have read the book Gentle and Lowly. Um, I don't read books really. I like books. I read the front cover, the back cover. I listen to podcasts about the books. My wife reads the books and we talk about the books. Um, and I'm not necessarily proud of that. It's just the way I... Uh, in my ADD sort of state, uh, uh, sort of take-in information. Um, but one of the things that she asked me as she was reading it, maybe for the second time, is when you think of the holiness of God, what do you think of? And I know I've, I have read R.C. Sproul's Holiness of God back when I had a mind that functioned a little better, and he definitely taught me that holiness was not not what I thought it was. It wasn't just purity and righteousness, but it was differentness, otherness, transcendence, a cut apart. And as I thought about that, and I'm kind of bragging to myself because I got the answer right, I thought, it's the mercy of the Lord. It's the kindness of the Lord. That's so unlikely for this being, this master, this sovereign God of all the universe, that He would be gently, gentle and lowly, riding on come riding on a donkey. Uh, in fact, um, you might be tempted to think, but yeah, that was just him in his incarnation. That was the kenosis, that he, he set things aside. Um, but I will tell you the scriptures teach otherwise. Um, that actually, even when he revealed himself to Moses, the first thing that he wanted to reveal about himself was his mercy and his loving kindness and his forgiveness. It's the first thing out of his mouth. I've heard a preacher say it's because it's his favorite thing about himself. It's the first thing he said. Um, so that takes us to, maybe maybe this is an unlikely and sort of jumbled uh, sermon, but it takes us to our text. It's Colossians 3, 8 through 4, one. But I think if you stick with me, Uh, And I would have trouble sticking with me, so I commend you. I ask you to pray for me. Stick with me. Um, But Colossians 3, 18-4-1 gives us rules for Christian households. And By the way, some of this we've covered. Uh, Warren took the hard one for the team. He drew the short straw and did a great job with it. Um, Kyle did a great job. I wasn't here for, for years, Jason. I heard it was great. But let me read this text. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Remember, God made a helper that was suitable for Adam, that fit him. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Remember, in the curse, he would want to rule over her. He would want to be dominant. Um, But we're no longer cursed. We're in redemption. We have been set free. I'm speaking to Christians. So he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Just as I read that text, this is not in the notes as I read it, I am struck by the Lord's concern for the bondservant and the amount of detail that he gives in encouragement to the bondservant. And by the way, that's all through the Bible, the Old Testament. The Lord cares about the stranger and the pilgrim, the widow and the orphan. Um, that is the nature of our God, again, gentle and lowly. Um, masters last verse treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So there's a lot of authority in there, as I mentioned. Uh, I mean, if you think about that whole passage, there's a lot of parties. Um, come back in with me. How many different parties do you count in that text? I'll give you a second. Um, there are subjects that he addresses. You've got wives. You've got husbands. Somebody shouted out. I've got the answer up here. The key here in my iPad. There are six. The answer is six. Fathers is one. You didn't hear the question. That's okay. Okay. Um, Yep, nope, hearing, okay. Um, But there are six subjects. And I would like to ask, as you look back at that text, because we're going to spend a little time just sort of looking at this, uh, I I sort of made a graph, a rubric. It it really popped off the page for me, and it was very helpful. Um, So that first column, the header is subjects. The subjects are these six people. And I'm curious to know if there's anyone here that does not fit in one of those categories. Um, so I'll read them off just to help you out you have wives you have husbands you have children you have fathers bond servants we can say employees it's it's not the same kind of slave that you sort of think about in the 17th and 18th century in Europe and the New World it wasn't chattel slavery so much and many times in the Roman Empire uh, these slaves were paid they had a term they got set free and things like that um, but but uh, the application, I'm told by good commentators, for employee works perfectly um, with bond servants. Okay, So you got bond servants or employees, and then you have masters or employers. Now, by the way, I didn't say this was an exhaustive list about authority structures. The, the Bible talks about governing authorities. The Bible talks about authority in the church. But I'm curious uh, if anybody doesn't fit into one of these categories. I was trying to think about it, even as I walked this morning, if you're retired... Um, you no longer have a boss, but you're very likely a father. You're very likely a husband. You might be single and retired, but you're very likely, um, in one of these authority structures. So it's just curious. I don't know if you, um, if you don't fit in one, we'll do another sermon for you another day, but you can, you can tune up. You're good. All right. So back to the text. Now I just kind of want to go through these. And again, um, I have in my notes, wives, um, submit yourselves. To your husband, as is fitting in the Lord. And what I have in my notes is, um, this is a tough phrase and a tough command for modern people. Uh, and all I can say is, thanks, Warren. Um, nice job. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed. If you're in our little cabin, um, lots of people said, Warren, you did that great. You handled that really well. Now you didn't tell. You didn't hear people saying that to Kyle, and you might not be saying it to me. But it's because. Uh, it's just hard for our modern ears to hear that one particular thing: wives submit yourselves to your own husbands. That one we bristle at. Even in 1947, it was considered countercultural. I don't know if you know what happened in 1947, but that's when Princess, later Queen Elizabeth, got married. <clears throat> in the Common Book of Prayer, the the, um, the marriage ceremony that everybody used was changed back in 1928 to get rid of "obey," but Queen Elizabeth said, no, I want obey in my vow. I think it is pleasing to the Lord. And they say only the wedding party heard it, but it was recorded on BBC and it crossed six continents. And so um, that was her testimony to the Lord that this is pleasing to the Lord. But that sermon has been preached. Um, and I will tell you that uh, I was encouraged by it. I, my wife has, never been, has not been the same these last 24 hours, so I thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Um, Then we have husbands. Nobody's preached this one yet, so I will spend a little more time here. But husbands love your wives. And by the way, I I sort of left my graph. I'll just tell you what I have here. I have subjects. People that are given a command that fall under some kind of authority. And then there's an object. Okay, so you have wives. Submit is the command or the verb. And then you have an object which are husbands, wives, parents, and so on. And then there's sort of a manner, even an adverb, a way that you would do this thing. Um, And there's even a motive. It seems like in every one of these. See how that that came out? I did not do that. That was sort of last minute, but the Lord helped me with that. But as you look through, there's a graph. And I've got a surprise one for you at the end, so stick with me. Um, So, husbands love your wives. Um, The manner, and and some of the stuff I'll pull from other scriptures, because I'm using this almost as a topical outline. Um, we know that we are to do so gently. We know that we are to live with our wives in an understanding way. Um, We we know that we are um, motivated, I'm going to jump to the motive, Uh, that we are heirs of the grace of life um, with our wife. Um, And so I'm very much uh, encouraged. But I would tell you, and this is, I don't know if you've ever done this before, it's in a book uh, called Loving the Way Jesus Loved. But I would say the best thing that you could possibly do, um, and I think it's one of the most in- inspiring texts of Scripture, it's First Corinthians 13. Um, and even in the secular world, people think it's an amazing poetry and a profound and inspiring. But have you ever done this thing? Um, put your own name in place of the word love. So take a minute and look at First Corinthians 13. And... I've got a couple of thoughts for you as, as you do this and we'll get to um, verse 4. <clears throat> and if this doesn't sort of stick you when I when I was sort of um, challenged with this and I did it, I almost laughed okay Mike is patient and kind. Mike does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices with truth. Mike bears all things. Mike believes all things. Mike hopes all things. Mike endures all things. Um, Sounds crazy. Now, that's already convicting to me. Now, husbands, I would ask you to look at that same text again and pretend you're your wife. Um, and read through it again. Look through it again. Um, how does, does your wife, um, is she shocked? Is she um, humored by that idea? And I don't mean to make light of it, but um, that is, uh, to me, such a convicting thing. But, the, but the, that passage teaches us everything I think there is to say about loving uh, our wives. Uh, then we get to children. Obey your parents. I would say again, thanks Kyle. You took care of that. Um, the manner is thoroughly, I was uh, um, very much encouraged by, because I've noticed so many times, my own tendency to dismiss or overlook little children, especially not my own children. I have—I don't know if you've ever sent your kids up to the counter at a fast food restaurant and say, go get a refill. It's really funny to sit back and watch. Um, they don't pay any attention to them. I mean, you sit back and you're, what is going on here? It's because they're 21-year-olds and they see a little kid with a cup and they're looking up. And man, if you, I mean, I'm talking even Chick-fil-A, where they come and race at you and grab that cup out of your hands and say, would you like more ice? With a little kid, it's a different story. Um, we should not be like that. We should see them. And um, they're very impressionable. And uh, the Lord is pleased um, by their obedience, as Kyle said. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. He also talked about, do not provoke your children. Um, and again, I would say, and this is something I used to tell my kids about their siblings, um, especially older to a younger. Hey, don't treat him that way. He's a person. He's a person. Because I don't think that a lot of times, brothers and sisters, and older, they think of them as a human, as a person. Um, and so, again, encouraged by that. Um, so fathers, don't provoke your children. They have dignity. It discourages them. Um, it would be better that a millstone be hung around your neck than you discourage one of these little ones, that you cast, you cause one of these little ones to stumble. And then we come to another subject. We come to bond servants. Um, and it says to obey. There's that word again. Uh, your master, your boss. And I'm surprised by the detail. Um, the manner in everything. And again, put yourself in Um, their shoes think about you as an employee in everything not as people pleaser but with sincere hearts Uh, that's very convicting to me as I think about the way even that I might tend to approach my work and some of you that are employers you think wow does such a person exist in the world someone that uh, serves and obeys and works that way but then the motive what's the motive for these Um, employees, these servants, they receive an inheritance from the Lord. Um, Usually a bond servant didn't get an inheritance. Once in a while he did, but usually he didn't. And in this case, um, it's promised not just an inheritance from your middle class or whatever master, but an inheritance from the Lord. Um, Also, it says that God sees all and the wrongdoer will be paid back. I don't know if that motivates you in your work. And and by the way, I think often as I have conflict with anybody and someone at work as well, love your enemies. And I'll pray out loud that the Lord um, would bless them. Because he tells us to to bless them and to pray for them. And I'm convicted immediately. They're not my enemies. Um, This is half me, half them. But uh, he says that they will be paid back um, without partiality. Oftentimes, especially people in the lower rungs of society do not get they do get partiality or they do not get partiality. but he says for masters and bosses to do it in that way. Um, next line is masters doesn't leave anybody out. And this is encouraging too. how often this is so counter-cultural cultural. In the Roman world, it's countercultural. It's not so countercultural in our world. Everybody likes to talk about servant leaders and all this kind of stuff. But I found a lot of it's pretty hollow. Um, but this is um, very countercultural. It's Christianity. Treat or pay or deal out or manage, even give tasks, masters, um, to your bond servants fairly and justly. Um, don't give the worst task to this one person because you don't like them very much or you think they they don't count for much, but to do it fairly and justly. Why? What's their motive? Let me bring you back in. Take a look at the text. What is their motive? You have a master in heaven. Um, that should uh, startle us and convict us and um, inspire us that we have a master in heaven. Um I will tell you, I don't know about you, you're probably like me. I really, there's a lot of authority, there's a lot of obey, there's a lot of submit, there's a lot of the stuff. I don't really have a problem with authority. Um, unless somebody tells me something I really don't like hearing or to do something I really don't want to do. Otherwise, I got no problem with authority. Um, but that's kind of what I've noticed in my life. Um, now I want to take you to the last column. I have a last column. And so remember, we've got, We've got fathers, and we've got husbands, and we've got, let me go back to it. Um, we have children, fathers, bondservants, masters, wives, husbands. And so I want you to know that there is a model for every one of these categories in the scriptures. So as you think about wives, and this one really blows my mind. I don't know if you thought much about this. But the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 11 um, that as the the husband is the head of his wife, who's the head of the husband? Christ is the head of the husband. Is that it? It's really crazy. I don't know if you thought much about it. God is the head of Christ. This is ascended Christ. It's the Apostle Paul talking. Ascended Christ. Right now, God is the head of Christ. And it pleased... Him to submit to the Father. Not just in the Incarnation, not just in the kenosis, but it is ordered. And by the way, this communication, this marriage, it's, I told you earlier that um, their gifts work in marriage. It's also creation. Um, God imbued traits in us that are in Him. There is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is headship and there is submission. Even in the Trinity, and we read a little devotional... Uh, many nights uh, sort of a liturgy called um, Be Thou My Vision and we read the creed and it says God is one and God is equal God the Father is equal the Son is equal the Spirit is equal Um, God the Father is not the Son the Father is not the Spirit and so on and so forth Um, talking about the distinction and the unity and the equality yet the scriptures teach that there is headship and submission in the triune God that's mind-blowing to me I hope that's encouraging to those of you women who are under authority of a man, that Christ comes under authority. Um, you're in good company, is what I would tell you. The next one is husbands. Um, Jesus again is the model. Um, it says, and you guys, and I'll tell you, there's some some classic sermons in here. But uh, if you think back to our, our lessons through John, he loved them to the end. He washed their feet. He humbled himself. Um, and uh, it's amazing. So now I would tell you go back to 1 Corinthians 13 as we think about the model. And you can look at that text and you may know where I'm going with this. But I would tell you that you can put this in here Christ is patient, Christ is kind. Christ does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way, he's not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Christ bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now it makes all the sense in the world. He is your model, husbands, as a husband. Um, children. Uh, was Jesus a child? Did He function that way? Uh, you know He did. It says in Luke 2.52 that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. His body got bigger bigger. And in favor with God and with man, with his parents and his heavenly father. So Jesus was the perfect child. Um, we have, again, as a father. Now you might think this is a stretch, but the scriptures um, call him the everlasting father. Jesus' everlasting father. Doesn't mean he's God the Father in the triune sense, but in Isaiah 9 6, he's the Prince of Peace, he's everlasting father, it says. Um, and then I'll uh, bring us to a close. Um, you have bond servants. Hopefully this is not a reach for you. Uh, Philippians 2. Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not think it was robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a servant, a bond servant, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And finally, even as a master, Jesus said, here's a model for you employers. If I them, am your Lord and Master, love one another. Wash one another's feet. It's a very stark command. He doesn't say, wash my feet. He says, wash one another's feet. Um, I think I've shared this with some of you before. Um, In Luke 13, there's the parable about the Master who has uh, dispatched his servants and they've worked hard in the fields all day and they come back to have dinner at table And He takes off His robe and girds it around His waist and He serves them dinner. Um, That is the spirit of the gentle and lowly Christ. Um, We sing a hymn that says those very words about the new heaven, new earth, about the resurrection, that Christ Himself will take off His robes and serve us. Um, I'm done. That's the main idea. But I would like to say here that Christ is not just our model, but He is our Lamb, Uh, He perfectly submitted as a good bride, a good husband, a child, a father, when we did not and do not. Um, He obeyed perfectly in all of these roles, all these six roles. Um, In Christ, our rebellion and our problem with authority was punished. In Christ, we rise to new life, new power, new desires. And now, when we have a divine imperative, like children, obey your parents, or husbands, love your wives... It becomes a whole new kind of imperative. It's a divine imperative and it becomes a divine enablement. And so, um, understand that he's not just a model, but he's your priest, he's your sacrifice. Um, and I would say, back to my story, to kind of close things up, my heart was melted, and I, I use this to encourage you women in particular, uh, by a Christian woman who has served me with grace grace and love and forgiveness and long sufferingness. She doesn't hold grudges. Um, I say all the time, let me start over time and time again. And she says, Of course I forgive you. He says, Of course I forgive you. Um, that melted my heart. That's one of those sort of examples of a woman winning over a Christian husband without a word. Um, and I would say, str- struggling believer. Um, if you find yourself unhappy in these family dynamics as a father or as a wife or as a child, um, you, can, you can bear lots of burdens, um, burdens of work and burdens of exhaustion, but you cannot bear the burden of your sin. Um, come to Christ. Um, he's not just your model, but He is your sacrifice, your lamb. He is your new life. Um, I would say to you believers... Um, believing women, believing fathers. Um, I I see you women with these huge uh, families and stretched and tired and exhausted and I'm in awe of you and at the way that you function and you pull it off and you do it, but I know that you know that you can carry that burden uh, because you're amazing, you're super women, but you cannot carry the burden of conflict and bitterness um, and hate toward your husband or toward another person. The Lord tells us to cast our cares upon Him. He cares for us. He says to take His yoke upon us, that His burden is easy. um, His yoke is light. Um, And so I leave you with a call. Um, As a Christian, um, come to the Lord's way of doing it. You can experience the joy of your salvation by repenting of these sins, of resistance to authority and God's providence in your life, I would say it to unbelievers as well. Um, And by the way, just as a footnote, I said in the garden that work was there, headship was there, order was there. In the new creation, in the new heaven the new earth, there will be authority, there will be submission, there will be humility and love and joy with the light. And, he, and by the way, marriage will be there. Jesus said, you know, when they ask who's, uh, whose husband will she be or uh, uh, wife will she be in the resurrection, the answer is none of the above. They'll be uh, Christ's wife, and so will I be. Um, so I would uh, encourage you that marriage doesn't even end in heaven. Um, these marriages merely foreshadow the great marriage to get us ready for that great marriage. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your truth and for bringing us together today. We pray that you would um, use some of these things in the hearts of your church uh, to encourage, to strengthen, and to help. By praying in Christ's name. Amen.